are going to continue our series entitled Make Room for the King. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how can we really just kind of enlarge our hearts and make room in our daily lives for Jesus Christ and really allow the King of Kings, amen, and the Lord of Lords to come in and really have a place of preeminence in us. So this morning, let's look together in Luke chapter 2. Uh, verse 7, the Bible says, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman, the Bible says, The woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. And so we've been talking about over the last few weeks, kind of our first kind of initial thought is if we knew, right? If we knew who Jesus was and we knew the gift of God that he brings into our lives, I believe with all my heart we would make room for Jesus every day of our lives. If we could just get a revelation of who he really is, then I believe we would want to make room for him. Amen? And I also believe, and let me just encourage you in this, I also believe that we are living in a world that is desperately looking for the real Jesus, right? Is desperately looking for the reality of who Jesus Christ is, and we have the honor and we have the opportunity every day of our lives to represent Christ to the world so they can see him. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that most people don't really reject Jesus. I'm convinced most people reject the image of Jesus that we convey to them. And so we have a responsibility as Christians, right? We have a responsibility to make sure that we are conveying an accurate image of who Jesus is, that they can see him in the light of the glory of God and recognize who he really, really is. And so we've been talking about that over the last four weeks. So we asked the question, so who is he and what gifts does he bring? We said, number one, he is the gift, he is the God of hope, and he brings the gift of hope. We said that he is the Prince of Peace, and he brings the gift of peace. And today, we want to talk about the fact that he is our Savior. But not only is he our Savior, how many of you realize he is the Savior of the world? Amen. He is the Savior of the world, and he brings the gift of joy. How many of you believe that our world could probably use a little bit more? joy. Any joy uh, folks in the house today, right? Wouldn't it be great if we could just raise the joy level in our world? And so today we're going to talk about how that as we make room for the Savior, we make room for the gift of joy that God wants to bring. Let me just kind of talk a little bit about joy. Joy is not, right? Joy is not the absence of sorrow. And joy is not the absence of grief or even heartache. Joy is the result of the presence of God. David said it this way. He said, in thy presence is the fullness of joy, right? How do we experience joy? Joy is not the result of external circumstances. Joy is the result of what happens when we make room in our hearts and in our lives on a daily basis for the presence of God. The more that I make room for Jesus, the more joy I experience in my life. Now think about it in your own life today, right? I know many of you here today, and, and we've walked through some valleys and some trials together, and this is what I know about a lot of you. You have endured some difficult, challenging, overwhelming times, and in the midst of the hardships and trials of life, many of you have maintained 
your joy, right? I mean, think about it. There have been times when you walk through hell and high water, and somehow in the midst of all the trials and tribulations around you, you somehow held on to your joy. Guess what? The reason you held on to your joy was because you had committed your heart to make room for Jesus. Right? Think about it. Now, if you flip the coin, we've all been through seasons in our lives where we kind of lost our joy, right? You ever been in one of those seasons in your life where it seems like you lost your joy, your enthusiasm, your passion for life and living? And the reality is simply this. You didn't lose your joy because the circumstances of life got too hard. You didn't lose your joy because the circumstances of life got too hard. You lost your joy because somehow in the midst of the circumstances, you stopped making room for Jesus. You stopped making room for the presence of God that brings the joy of the Lord. Now, I don't mean that we ought to go around. I don't believe it's God's will or God's plan. I don't even think it's normal that we should go around always just joy, 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 joy. You know, I mean, praise God. Jennifer, you may be like that. I think you you and my sister, Teresa, y'all may be the only two people I know. But the reality is, is that most of the time, right, I mean, everything in life is not joy. But how many of you understand that God intends us not to, I want you to hear this, not to just endure life, but he actually does intend for us to enjoy Enjoy our lives. And I have met way too many, I'm just going to endure life Christians, right? You ever met any of those Christians? They're always gritting their teeth, right? I'm just going to enjoy. I'm going to get through. I'm going to endure. I'm going to endure this. I'm going to endure my family. I'm going to endure this season. I'm just going to endure. And they're just always gritting their teeth. They're enduring life. How many of you understand? There is an element where we have to endure. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, blessed are they that endure to the end. But how many of you understand that it's not God's will? that we just endure life. It's not just about let's grin and bear it, right? No, it's about learning how to enjoy our lives in the midst of the storms and adversities and trials and tribulations that come, right? Because here's the reality. The reality is as long as we are living in a world that is stained and marred by sin, we will never be exempt from the sorrow and the grief and the hardship that surrounds us. In this life, you're going to have trouble and trial and tribulation. That's what Jesus said. But then he said, but be of good cheer, right? Have some joy because I have overcome the world. The reality is, is we can't escape the trials and tribulations of life. How many of you have learned life's not fair? Y'all kind of figured that out? Life's not fair, right? Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Right? I mean, life's just not fair. And that's the reality of living in a world that is stained and marred by sin. There is sorrow, there is suffering, there is grief, and there is hardships. But in the midst of all that, there is joy. Where does joy come from? Joy comes not from the absence of sorrow, but from the presence of God. When I make room in my heart, and I make room in my life, and I make room in my family, I make room for the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says of the joy of the Lord that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It is our wall of defense. It is the thing that empowers us and enables us. Brother Rod says this about joy. Brother Rod says that joy is the spirit of evangelism. Because let me tell you what I know about your life. You will never be an effective Christian reaching other people for Christ if you don't have joy. Right? I mean, we've all met those miserable Christians, right, that are enduring life, right? And they're just, they're just gritting their teeth through life, and they're like, if you get Jesus, you can be just like me. You know, and you're like thinking, I hope I don't act just like, I don't ever, for that one, you know. 
How many know that's not really Jesus that they got there? The reality is, if you're going to be a contagious Christian, if you're going to be an effective Christian, if you're going to be a soul-winning Christian, if you're going to be a disciple-making Christian, you're going to have to tap into the joy of the Lord. Where does it come from? In His presence, David said, is the fullness of joy. So joy is the result of making room in my heart for the presence of God and allowing the Savior to have free reign in my life. So let's look at a couple scriptures together today. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 says this, And now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great what? Everybody but Jennifer. Jennifer, come on, help me again. Everybody, good tidings of great what? All right, one more time. Good tidings of great what? Good tidings of great joy. Look at that last part, which will be to all people, right? The angel said to the shepherds, I'm bringing you a good news message that's going to bring great joy, not just to the shepherds, not just to the people that were there when Jesus was born, but to all the earth that me and you 2,000 years later can experience the joy of Jesus because of the good news that the angel was there to bring. So look at verse 11. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In verse 11, he tells us, here's the good news. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We said if we only knew who he was and the gift that he brings, we would make room for Jesus. So who is Jesus? He is the Savior of the world. Look at that next statement on your outline. So what is a Savior? Well, the word Savior in the Greek gives us several definitions. It literally means to save, but a Savior is also a deliverer. A Savior is a rescuer. A Savior is literally a life preserver. Amen? And what does Jesus do? If you think about this, Jesus saves us from our sin. But I want you, if you're a note taker here today, I want you to write in there above the word sin. Not only does he save us from our sin, he actually saves us from ourselves. And we're going to talk about that a little more in depth in just a minute. He saves us from our sin. He delivers us from the power of the enemy. How many of you know that there is no force in hell greater than the power of Jesus Christ? Right? Addiction is not stronger than God. Jesus is greater than God. There is a Savior that is greater than the addiction that wants to bind your life. He is a deliverer. He is a rescuer. He will rescue us from temptation. And He will, look what it says, He will preserve us through the storms of life. And the result of His salvation is the gift of joy. When I let the Savior in, you know what happens? Every time He saves me, every time He delivers me, every time He rescues me, every time He preserves me, it releases joy in my heart, joy in my life. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Psalms 3 verse 8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, and your blessing is on your people. Revelation 7 says, And after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to be counted, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from who? From our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. 
Psalms 51, 12, David says, Restore to me the joy of my what? Salvation. The joy of your salvation. Look at Isaiah 12. This is awesome. Isaiah 12, verse 2 and 3 says, See, God has come to save me. And I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has given me victory. Look at verse 3. And with joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels. Let's go back to that point. So what is a Savior? A Savior is a deliverer. A Savior is a rescuer, a life preserver. Jesus saves us from ourselves, from our sin, and from ourselves. Let me tell you why we need a Savior. Because we kind of talk about Jesus as our Savior, He's our Lord and our Savior, and I don't know that we fully grab what that really means. Why do we need a Savior? I want to tell you why we need a Savior. We need a Savior not just because we sin, but we need a Savior because we were sinners. Right? Sinners need a Savior. Why? Because sinners can't save themselves. Right? Sinners can't save themselves. Now, let me just teach you a little bit. Y'all okay if I just teach a little bit? I'm going to just slow down and teach a little bit. So let's talk about a few things. I want you to talk, think about the word sin. The word sin literally in its basic form means to miss the mark, to come short of the glory of God. If we were to put a big bullseye up over there on the wall and we were all to shoot at it, anything that hit outside the bullseye would be sin. That would be missing the mark, coming short of God's glory. So here's the good news. When you live your life God's way, God's way of life enables you to live your life at its highest and greatest potential. Right? When you live your life God's way, it enables you not to miss the mark, but to hit the mark, to actually live the life, become the person, accomplish the things that God has for you. Sin is anything outside of God's best for your life. Now, what does it mean to be a, a sinner? A sinner, literally, the word means to be devoted to sin. A sinner is somebody that is devoted to sin. Now, let's talk about Adam real quick. I'm going to read Rev, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. It says, Therefore, as one man trespassed, and his trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, Romans 5. For as by one man's disobedience, and it's talking about Adam here in Genesis, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, talking about Jesus, many will be made righteous. So in the Garden of Eden, how many of y'all remember Adam and Eve? Anybody remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were born, or actually not born, they were created. And let me tell you about how they were created. Adam and Eve were created, connected to God. Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature, but they did have a choice. They were created, connected to God. Right? They walked with God. They taught with God. They fellowship with God. They were created with this divine connection where they were in sync with God the Father, and they were spiritually bent, so to speak, toward righteousness. But they still had a choice because God didn't make robots. Amen? 
Now, when Adam sinned, the Bible says that when Adam sinned, one man's disobedience made all men to be sinners. What does it mean to be a sinner? It means I have a sin nature. It means that when I was born, I wasn't born connected to God. I was born disconnected from God, and I was born with a sin nature or a selfish nature that doesn't necessarily want to do the right thing. I just want to do the best thing for me. Think about that for just a minute. A sin nature is not about doing the right thing. A sin nature is about doing the best thing for me, right? Sin is selfish. It's all about doing what's best for me. Think about it. When people sin, they don't sin because it's going to make everybody else happy. They sin because they think it's going to make them happy, right? They're not thinking about how this is going to affect other people. I talk to parents all the time whose children or grandchildren are battling addiction, and they're like, what are they thinking? How could they do this to me? Well, the reason they could do that to you is because they're not thinking about you. And the truth is, when you sin and when I sin, you're not thinking about your spouse. You're not thinking about your kids. You're not thinking about your family. You're not thinking about your future. You know who you're thinking about? You. Because sin is selfish. And so we weren't born connected to God. We were born disconnected from God with a sin nature that is selfish. We were bent toward doing what is right in our eyes instead of what is right in the eyes of God. Now, if you don't believe me, let me prove it to you. How many of you have children? Anybody here I got kids? Awesome. How many of you were a child at one time? Awesome. Get every hand raised in the house today. You know what we don't do with our kids? We don't teach our kids how to lie. Right? We've never had, I've never had a lying one-on-one lesson with my kids. Right? You've never sat down with your kids and say, okay, now when you get in trouble, I, I want you to lie about it. And if you think you're going to get in trouble, I want you to blame your sister, blame your brother, blame the dog, blame the cat. Whatever you do, when you do something wrong, don't be responsible. Don't take uh, responsibility for it. Just blame somebody else and lie. We've never done that. As a matter of fact, we do just the opposite, right? We tell our kids, tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Just tell the truth. If you'll tell the truth, everything will be all right. You may still get in trouble for telling the truth, but it won't be as bad as if you lie about it and we find out you lied about it because then the punishment's going to be worse. So whatever you do, just tell the truth. And we've, we've, we've bent over backwards trying to teach our kids to tell the truth, and when they get in trouble, they still lie. Well, Pastor Keith, my kids don't lie. Well, you're a liar. They all lie. You lied, I lied, right? We've all lied. We've all, we've all lied. And we didn't teach our kids how to lie. How in the world did they learn how to lie when we were told them not to lie? Because they have a sin nature. They were born disconnected from God. They were born with a sin nature that is bent toward doing what is right in their eyes instead of what is right in the eyes of God. So we need a Savior because we are all sinners. And sinners can't save themselves. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, you must be born again. There has to be a spiritual birth. You have to be supernaturally connected to God. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me, he said. Jesus said there's only one way to be reconnected to God. You need a Savior. 
And you've got to put your faith and your hope and your confidence in me and trust me to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you will do that, I'll forgive you of your sins. I will reconnect you to the Father. You'll become spiritually alive. Because I mean, you know, once you got born again, now you got a brand new want to. Right? When you got born again, you actually want to do the right thing. Now, you don't always do the right thing, but you want to do the right thing. There's a genuine desire in you to do what is right and what is pleasing in the eyes of God. Because what Jesus does is Jesus restores us back to our default setting. See, Adam was connected to God, but he had a choice. Jesus reconnects us to the Father, so now we have a divine nature, but we still have a choice to sin. Now, I was saved when I was 15 years old. I just had a birthday this week. I'm 46 years old. So that means 31 years ago I got saved. And guess what? 31 years later, I'm still saved. I still love God. I still desire to do the right thing. As a matter of fact, I desire to do the right thing more now than I ever desired to do it. But even when I was 15 years old, I made some choices as a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old person that were not always the right choices. But I can tell you, every time I did the wrong thing, I regretted it. I knew it was the wrong thing before I ever did it. I knew it was wrong. I usually had to talk myself into doing the wrong thing. Right? I mean, think about it. When you really have to start having debates with yourself as to whether you should do something, you probably shouldn't do it. Y'all ever have those conversations in your head, right? And you, you're having this little conversation, should I do that, should I not do that, should I do it, what's this? You're trying to, if you're having to talk to yourself about doing it, you probably shouldn't do it because you're probably trying to talk yourself out of the right thing into doing the wrong thing. But every time since I was 15 years old, there has been a conviction, there has been a leading, there has been a drawing, there is this divine nature now in my heart that desires to do what pleases God. And sometimes I talk to people, they say, well, Pastor Keith, I never had, my, my want to never changed. Well, maybe you never got saved. Because when you get born again, guess what happens? Your want to changes. Now, it doesn't mean you're incapable of sin. It just means when you do sin, you're going to probably be miserable. I learned a long time ago, I can't be happy in sin. Now, I was a Christian. I can't consistently do the wrong thing and feel joy and peace. Why? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit within me. Right, because joy, right, joy is the fruit of salvation. It's the result of the presence of God. What happens when I sin as a Christian? I quench the presence of God. I grieve the presence of God. And I lose the joy that comes from living a life rightly connected with Jesus. So Jesus is our Savior, right? Now, here's a crazy thing. When you get saved, the Bible no longer calls you a sinner. It actually calls you a saint, Paul actually wrote to the saints, the beloved saints, the saints here and the saints there, right? That's crazy. We thought you had to be a dead old guy in the Catholic Church to be a saint. But the Bible says once you got saved, you went from being a sinner to being a saint. Why? Because now you've got a divine nature. You've been rightly connected to the Father, and now there's a real desire to do what pleases God on the inside of you. And that can only happen if you accept Jesus as your Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Because we're all sinners. What else does a Savior do? Not only does He save us from our sins and save us from ourselves, but He's a deliverer. 
I said it a while ago. He will deliver you from the power of the enemy. The Bible says in 1 John that Jesus Christ, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested, the Bible says, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There is no stronghold, no addiction, no power, no sin, no anything from the enemy that is greater than the power of God. And if you and I would just begin to understand that, if we would begin to make room for Jesus, the Savior, we would make room for deliverance. You can be free, amen? Because there is a Savior that will deliver you from the power of the enemy. I get so sick and tired of listening to Christians sometimes because you ever listen to Christians talk about the devil? He's like he, they talk about the devil like he's Superman. And they talk about God like he's just nobody. I want to tell you, we got that totally wrong. God's Superman. Jesus is Superman. Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Satan is a deceiver and an accuser of the brethren. Jesus is the superhero. Y'all seen that little t-shirt on Facebook? It's got Jesus sitting there and all the little superheroes standing around him. And the little caption, Jesus says, this is how I saved the world. He's the Savior. He will deliver you. If you only knew, right? Think about that. Think about how many times we hold on to the thing that's destroying our lives. And all we've got to do is let Jesus the Savior come in and he will deliver us. He's not only our deliverer, he is our rescuer. He will rescue us from temptation. The Bible says that there is no temptation that is taking you but such as is common to man. And with every temptation, God will make a way of escape. There's always a way out. Jesus will make a way for you to come out of that thing, to come out of temptation, to come out of trial, to come out of tribulation, to come out of the stronghold and bondage of sin. He will make a way. He is a rescuer. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. It's kind of a good guy movie, a bunch of action and fine. It's called, uh, called Taken, Liam Meeson or whatever his name is, you know. Somebody kidnaps his daughter and he like goes and just gets her back. He rescued her. He went after her. I want to tell you something. Jesus is coming after you. He is a Savior. He is pursuing you. He is desiring to rescue you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to rescue you. And then the last thing is the Bible says he's a, the word Savior means he is a preserver. He is a life preserver. Here's something I don't think we talk enough about in church. The Bible says that God's not only able to save you, God's able to keep you. God can keep you. So many Christians live in fear of falling back into who they used to be. Now, I think we need a godly fear, right? We need the fear of the Lord. But what I found out just in observation as I've watched people, the people that fear falling back usually fall. The people that believe that God's able not only to save them but keep them, they walk it out. So you need to get a revelation that he's your savior. And not only is he able to save you and deliver you and rescue you, he's able to keep you. He can preserve you through the storms, the trials, the tribulations, and the challenges of life. Instead of looking back thinking, well, what if I fall? Why don't you look ahead and think, well, what if he does what he says he'll do? Because he is a faithful God, and he is my savior, and he is my redeemer, and he is my Lord. And he's able to not only save me, he's able to keep me. I mean, think about it. If he can deliver you out of the stuff that you were bound in, surely he can keep you from going back because he's a Savior. He is a life 
preserver. Several years ago, our kids were little, and we went to Point Mallard, and we were all out in the wave pool. And we were out in the wave pool, and the waves started going. And I looked down, there was this little boy. He was about five years old. He was under the water, and he was just doing this. And he was sinking fast. And I reached down, and I grabbed him. And when I grabbed him, he climbed me like a tree. I mean, before I know, I mean, I reached down, I grabbed him. Before I know it, he's up my arm and he's sitting on top of my head. And I was his best friend for life, right? I became his savior. I want to tell you today, Jesus is reaching out to every one of us today. He's reaching out, and we're drowning in our sin, we're drowning in our struggles, we're drowning in our difficulties, we're drowning in our problems, and there is a real Savior. If you only knew, Jesus said, if you only knew who I was, if you only knew what I could do, I can save you, I can deliver you, I can rescue you, and I can keep you. Because I am Jesus, the Savior of the world. Amen? So how do we do this? Let's kind of talk a little bit about that. How do we make room for the Savior? How do we make room for Jesus, the Savior, and the gift of joy that he brings, right? Romans chapter 10, very familiar scripture, tells us how. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the Scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, y'all say it with me, will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved. Look at that last point on your outline. So how do we make room for the Savior? And how do we make room for the joy of the Lord that he wants to use to fill our lives? We do what Romans 10 says. We have to believe in our heart and we have to confess with our mouth. We have to believe in our hearts. What does that mean? We have to invite him in. See, I have to believe that he is who he says he is, and then I have to be willing because I believe that he is my Savior, he is my Deliverer, he is my Redeemer, he is my Rescuer, he is my Preserver, and then I have to invite him in. I have to invite him in. Let me tell you what I know about God. He's a gentleman. And hands down, there have been times in your life when you weren't seeking God and you weren't pursuing God and you, were, you weren't looking for God, and God rescued you and God delivered you and God saved you. No doubt about that. But let me tell you what I know. I know this. I know that for you to experience the fullness of what God wants to do, you have to invite him in. You have to believe that he is, that he's able to save you, that he's able to deliver you, that he's able to rescue you, and that he's able to keep you. You have to believe that to such a degree that you invite him in to every arena and every area of your life. Now, as your pastor, let me tell you something. Man, when I see people in our church hurting and struggling and broken and battling, man, my heart breaks and I reach out to them and I love them and I want to encourage them. But let me tell you what I know. I can do very little ministry in that person's life until I'm invited in. Until I'm invited in. And when they invite me in, it's in that moment 
that I am able to minister at my greatest capacity. Now, I'm just a man. But think about that truth in application to God. Many times, even as Christians, we have areas in our life where we've kind of set up these little parameters and we haven't really invited Jesus in. And he's on the outside trying to work and he's trying to minister and he's trying to help you and he's trying to deliver you and he's trying to preserve you. But the reality is, is that until you invite him into that situation, he can't fully come and work in the way that he needs to work. Now, I've also found out that a lot of times we treat God the way people sometimes treat the preacher. Let me tell you what I know about people sometimes. People will want me to pray for them, and they'll want me to pray with them about circumstances and situations, and sometimes they'll want to tell me everything that everybody else is doing wrong, but never tell me what really they're doing. And so I pray for them, and, and as a man, I minister according to the information and revelation that the Holy Spirit gives me. And many times, I'm trying to help them resolve a problem when I really don't have all the facts. And many times, the thing that they don't want to tell their pastor is the thing that's really key to their breakthrough. Well, the same thing's true with God. See, with God, sometimes we want to just tell him just enough Right? We want to invite him into our spouse's life. <laughs> right? God, you need to work on him. You need to work on her. You need to work on this. You need to work on that. We want to invite him into our boss's life, to our employer's life. We want to invite him into the government. But God wants to be invited in, right? When we have to make room for Jesus in every arena of our lives, and we literally have to give him an invitation to come in to those areas of our lives and begin to work. So we have to believe, and then we have to confess. The Bible says we have to confess that Jesus is Lord. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means that we give him authority over our lives. Jesus is Lord. It doesn't say we confess that God is good. It says we have to confess that Jesus is Lord. We have to be willing to give God authority, and this is what I've learned, and you'll probably, you'll, you'll probably agree with this. I learned a long time ago that I can have control or I can have joy, but I probably can't have both. <laughs> I can have control, or I can have joy, but I probably can't have both. I mean, I want you to think about it. Think about the relationships that you've tried to control. Think about them. Think about the people you've tried to change. And when you're trying to control somebody and you're trying to change somebody, you know what, 99.9% .9 of the time when you're trying to control them, that relationship is not full of joy. <laughs> it's full of sorrow. Because you can't enjoy the people you're trying to control. You can't do it. You can't enjoy the people you're trying to control because you're in manipulation mode instead of enjoyment mode. And I'm trying to control you, and I'm trying to change you, so I really can't enjoy you because I'm trying to be God. Now, the world will tell you, right? The world will tell you, well, just, you just need to just let go, right? Just, 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 just let go and just have some good meditation and mm, just let it all go. How many know if you're driving down the road 65 miles an hour and you let go of the steering wheel, bad things happen? Right? You can't just let go. So, so we're not supposed to, quote, just let go. We're actually supposed to give control. 
of our lives to God. We've got to invite him in, and then we've got to give him control. Now, when I give God control, that doesn't mean I don't do anything. It actually means I'm probably going to do a lot of things, but I'm no longer going to operate out of a controlling spirit. I'm going to operate out of an obedient spirit. I'm going to operate out of an obedient spirit. And what that's going to do is when I relinquish control, I can now embrace joy. I can enjoy my family because I'm not trying to control them. I can enjoy my job because I'm not trying to change everybody. I can enjoy my church because I'm not trying to, to, to fix everybody. I can enjoy my life because I'm not in control, but I am now living not out of a spirit of control, but out of a spirit of obedience because I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I actually believe he can control my life better than I can. Now, again, so what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. When I give God control, number one, I'm going to be obedient to the Word. I'm going to do what God's already told me to do, which is a pretty full plate, by the way. And then I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. And outside of that, I'm going to relinquish control to God. And when I relinquish control, I make room for joy. I make room for joy. Here's a crazy thing. You ever tried to fix yourself? <laughs> and failed, <laughs> and failed, and failed. So God, I'm going to stop trying to fix me. I'm going to stop trying to control me, and I'm going to relinquish control of my life to you, and I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to lay down that controlling spirit, and I'm going to take up an obedient spirit because I believe that Jesus is Lord. And when I make room for the Savior, I make room for joy. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you say, Pastor Keith, I've never, I've never been born again. I, I don't have a new want to. I've been to church. I prayed some prayers. I read my Bible. But the reality is, is my want to never changed. And today I want to be saved. Today I want to be born again. I need a Savior. I realize I'm a sinner. I have a sin nature that causes me to walk away from God and be selfish and self-centered. Today, I, by, by Jesus' sacrifice, I want to be saved from my sin and from myself, and I want to be reconnected to, the God, to my God and my Father in heaven. And I want to begin to walk in a divine nature. I want to reconnect my heart to God. And I want to make Jesus Christ today my Lord and my Savior. If that's you right now, I want you just to stand to your feet. I've never been saved, but today I want to be saved. Today I want to be born again. Today I need a new want to. I realize I'm a Savior, a sinner, and I need a Savior. And Jesus is the only way. The reality is there's only one way to heaven. Jesus, he didn't cloud the water. He made it really clear. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Just to stand to your feet, a simple act of faith that says, today I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. I need a new heart, a new want to, a new life. And I believe today he's the only one that can do it. If you're here today and you're Christian and you say, Pastor Keith, I know I'm saved. There are definitely some areas in my life I need to invite him into afresh. And I need to relinquish control to him. 
I've lost my joy because I'm trying to control everyone and everything around me. And it's not working. I want to I want to lay down a controlling spirit. And today I want to take up an obedient spirit where I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and give him, give him authority over my life. If that's your heart's cry right there where you're seated, I just want you to do business with God. Invite him in. God, we just invite you in right now to every area of our life, every, every chaotic area, every calm area. God, we just invite you in. Lord, we believe that you're our Savior today. You can save us. You can keep us. You can deliver us. You can preserve us. You can rescue us. God, I thank you today that, that you are a mighty God, and there is none like you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So God, restore to us today the joy of our salvation. Restore to us today the joy of our salvation. Today we make room for you, Lord Jesus. We make room for the saving grace and the joy of the Lord that is our strength. So God, I ask you to bless your people today. Fill us with joy as we invite you in. We believe and we confess that you are Lord. We give you all the praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord just a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Well, we love you today. God bless you. If you're visiting today for the first time, uh, I'd love to meet you in the cafe. We have a first-time guest area, and we have a special gift we'd love to give to you today. Uh, if you just come back and see us before you leave, God bless you. Have a very Merry Christmas. Hopefully see you next Sunday. Amen.